Welcome to the Next Level Show, where we talk with people behind Next Level ideas, products, and technology that are changing the world around us. I'm Lubo Smith, the co-founder and CEO of STRV. And my guest today is Jacob Jabber, the co-founder of Phil's Coffee, the largest independent third-wave coffee company in the US, and a beloved staple of countless coffee lovers in California and Chicago. In this episode, Jacob shares how he built Phil's Coffee with his father 20 years ago, what role community and tech plays in the brand story, and what he looks for as a passionate investor in consumer-focused companies. So let's dive right in. Hello, hello. How are you, Lubo? Good to be <laughs> here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, thank you for joining. And like, I wanted to make sure that we hit the record button because you started saying something very important about your mindset and how you start your days. And I wanted the people tuning into the podcast to be part of that as well, because it, to me, it felt like there was, there was a lot of value in that. So how, how do you usually start your days? Well, I think the most important thing is it's kind of hard to get out of bed. So you have to work at it a little bit. Maybe you toss and turn a few times, you look at your phone, you put it down. But I try to think about, you know, good positive mindset because you have to start your day with a good mindset and you got to start your day being thankful and grateful. And you don't need to like write anything down. I don't write anything down, but I try to get out of bed and think good, think positive because it doesn't make any sense and it doesn't make for a good day by being negative. So just be positive. And then I rush to my coffee and then I have, <laughs> and then I can't talk to too many people until I've had my coffee. So it's this funny thing where I, I want to have a good positive mindset because if you have a good positive energy, good positive mindset, it just makes life better. You know, life is already difficult. Why make it more difficult? I'm hundred percent with you. And I feel like if you don't instill the positive mindset yourself, no one is really going to do it for you. You're right. It's your job. I agree completely with that. Or you become reliant on other people's energy, which influences yours, which may not be good. Right. And like, you don't know what's the energy level of the people around you. And do you want to be influenced by that? hundred percent. I think it's very important to you know, you are, I always think about this idea of you are your environment. You, you know, people say who you, know, who you spend your time with. You know, I believe in that. You are your environment. And if you spend six months with a group of people, you're going to be a little bit more like them. And then if you move somewhere and spend six months with another group of people, you get, it's like whenever you go on a trip internationally and you experience new things and you're out of town, out of the country for two weeks, you start, you, you know, you, you begin to start thinking a little bit more like them, wanting to become more like them. And then you come back home and then you miss it so much and then you get back into your groove here. So you got to figure out how to create the environment that inspires you and puts you in a good, good position. Yeah, that, that is right. And like, definitely when you travel, it broadens your horizons. And like, how do you take this and apply it in practice? Like if you are the average of your five or, or 10 closest connections, how do you work with this and how do you 
maintain your relationships so it, it actually works in your favor? It's a good question. These days, there are so many things online. So when I say you are your environment, there's a lot of inputs, right? It's your physical environment. It's your social environment. It's when you go out with your friends. It's that environment. It's who you're talking to. But it's also what you consume online. You know, you could decide what you consume online. It's up to you. Do you want to go look at an Instagram feed? Or do you want to go read an article? Or do you want to watch a YouTube video? So I think on one end, don't take things too seriously. Chill out. You know, do things that make you feel good. On the other end, be thoughtful about what you're consuming because you want to consume things that can help make you better. And sometimes those aren't always the most fun things, but after you do them, it feels good. So I think you just want to be a good consumer. You want to consume good food. You want to consume good friends. You want to consume good content. And I think that's when you, when you think those are the things that are very important. So I tried to be thoughtful about what I'm going to do. It's a great advice. Just be a good consumer. Exactly. I love that. You know? That's the better way it's to say it. S- simply, simply said, and you, you said it. I just picked it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Be a you good mentioned consumer. that right after you do this little practice of mindfulness in the morning, the first thing that you rush towards is your cup of coffee. And <laughs> I would love to hear where the like what was the inception of the passion for coffee before we dive into the whole Phil story like where where is the 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 coffee culture coming from so you know i wouldn't say that i was particularly you know super passionate about coffee growing up so it started my dad he came from palestine in the 70s to the states and the culture there is about community it's about family it's about food tea coffee like the original social network is the coffee table where people come together and gather and they interact and talk but it's very hard living where he came from so he wanted opportunity so he moved to the states and the us has wonderful opportunity so it's rich in opportunity but he found that it was poor in community because neighbors wouldn't always talk to each other like he used to experience. So he built, he, he, he opened a little bodega, corner grocery store in the Mission District in the 70s. And he used to sell things like diapers, milk, cigarettes, wine, candy bars. And, you know, it wasn't the products, it was really the people. So he got to know all of his customers. But what was missing is that they got the product and they left. So he decided, And he thought about, how do I get these people to stay, stay a while? How do I create this grandma's house environment for the community that I'm serving? And he loved coffee, and he thought that coffee would make people stay for a while. So he decided to start experimenting and trying different things out to create something unique and special. And in the early 2000s, he launched it. And I was there right by his side because when I was nine years old, I started working at the bodega, the grocery store. I stood on top of two milk crates and run people up at the register. I stocked inventory. I counted customers change. You know, I, I, I worked at a young age. And I would say those are very formidable years because it taught me, in, it gave me the in, this good business and good people instincts. 
And uh, I dropped out of school at the age of 17 and worked full time with him. So that wow. one, that's when it, that's the birth of Phil's is people and community and personal ki- personalized cups of coffee because we wanted to make each cup for our customers one at a time. So my passion for coffee grew over the years as I started getting into it. It wasn't, you know, I didn't wake up and say, oh my God, I want to go study coffee and visit all the regions around the world. That's truthfully not, you know, the core passion, I would say, but I've grown no, to be it, passionate about it. It's 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 great to hear the, the story and how it evolved. And it seems like you were on the very opposite side as you were joining your father on the business. Uh, was he supportive that you wanted to drop out of uh, like uh, studies and and join him pretty much full time very <laughs> it's 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 the exact opposite that you see in the majority of the parents right yeah you, you know why because his experience and where he came from and he knew i didn't like school i didn't do good in school and that wasn't going to be my path so i think it made it easier for him to accept accept that no, I, I think that it just very nicely illustrates that there is just, there is not only one right path, right? Correct. And uh, it can go multiple different ways, but uh, you can still achieve a great success no matter how you go about that. So this I is agree. a, this is a great example of that. Yeah, I agree. And I think life, education should be life should not be school. School is one way to become educated. Talking to you is another way to become educated. There's a lot of ways to become educated. So you have to have a learner's mindset. That's more important than anything, having a learner's mindset. You can learn from everyone. Reduce your ego and open your mind and learn. Well, for, for me, talking to people is probably the most exciting way to learn. Just being able to have these conversations and being able to navigate them and go into the fine details of people's stories that that's something that I'm extremely passionate about and like I love diving into those and for me it's like a lot better than other sources of learning and yeah. in the end that's why I do it did you like school did you what was that like for you i i wouldn't say that i didn't like it. I was probably not the one who would be enjoying it the most, but I definitely saw the added benefit of me getting through school. But I was, and I think it's very similar to my co-founder, David, and David is an extreme, but I think that I was also looking for like, what are the shortcuts and what are the things, like, how can I get the most out of it? So like, in the end, I, I ended up only spending like three and a half years on a course that normally takes five years because I figured that if I can do more within mm-hmm. a shorter period of time, I will, like, there is no point for me to sticking around for longer. And that way I was actually able to go to do some really interesting studies abroad because suddenly I had, I had like so many credits versus other people because I was I was taking a lot more courses. And so for me it was like I I I I saw the added value, but I was looking at okay, how do I how do I extract the value out of it rather quickly and get to something that is gonna be even more exciting than this. So very efficient 
kind of efficient mindset? How do I get the most with the least? Yeah, that's that's the name of the game for me, I guess. That's very, you know, it's the first set of furniture at the original fills my dad took from our house because we didn't have money to work with. So this resourcefulness, this idea of making something out of nothing is a really important one, particularly in these days of abundance. It's hard to think resourcefully. So it's a very, it's, I think it's a rare trait. So good for you that you have it <laughs> ingrained. Well, I hope I still I still have it. But it's hard uh, to keep it here. It's hard to keep. It's hard I, to maintain I, it. I have to say that sometimes people don't realize that like can you can achieve a lot with very little resources. You just have to be a little create creative. And yes, I think you are exactly right when you're saying that it's not always easy to think that way when we live in the world of abundance. Yes, I think so. I think that's one of the challenges that we face the younger generation. You know, there's so much the, there, there's so much access to so many things. It's not too hard to see what's happening in different parts of the world and you see different people. So you begin to, you know, question, you know, yourself and it creates a lot of insecurity. So it's 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 important yeah. It's it's important. This is where good parenting, good family, good friendships, good community is important. Making sure you stay grounded and you appreciate, you know, the little things and you don't take anything for granted. So this yeah. is an important thing to teach the young generation. Well, that's what we are doing here right now. Hopefully. Yeah, I <laughs> hope so. I hope so. And so back to the passion for coffee in early 2000. That's when you pretty much hit the hit the ground running in terms of the expansion. And what what was it like? And what was the like early days until you know scaling first coffee to a chain of a lot of coffee shops uh, as as we see today, and really creating like people that go to Phil's are extremely passionate about going to Phil's. So, like, how did you manage to, like, maintain and enhance this culture? It's a good question. And I think there are some things we did that made a difference. I think it starts with the product that my dad and I created. He mostly created. I created the Mitt Mojito, which I'm excited. I was excited about, but because it's a popular, it's a popular drink. But I think it starts with the product. And I think early on, we obsessed over the customer experience. Because, so when you walk into a Phil's in the early days, you didn't go to the cash register to order. You ordered straight from the barista. And we made you one cup at a time, and it was very personal. So we got a chance to interact with the customer like you're going to a bar. You know, it, you, you have a connection. Hey, how is your day going? You know, oh, what do you like? We we had the chance to make them something very personal that they would love. And we we thought because since that's the concept being so hospitality and people focused, we need to be careful about who we hire. We need to hire people who love hospitality, who love customer service. So we obsessed over hiring the right people, and that was the most important decision because that was the product. The product was the coffee, but it was the experience and it was created by an individual. So you'd walk up to Phil's, you order from the barista, 
And then we got complaints from our customers because they said, how do we pay for this? <laughs> they, they didn't know how to pay for this. So, and then we thought, oh, we have to actually ring customers up. So it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a deep story in there because the story, it's about the product and the people. It's not about the operation. So we thought about the experience first. We prioritized the experience. And then we created the operation to support the experience versus created the operation that supported the experience. So you have to start with people. You have to start with product. You have to start with experience and do the best you can and then figure out how to support it. And this is a very important lesson. And we didn't plan this out. Instinctively, we just knew this was the right thing to do. So what happened over the years is we were known for amazing, unique products and amazing hospitality. And that's how you develop evangelism. But it took many, many years. It wasn't overnight. We didn't open our second store until like five or six years after the first. And I think it's great that you put a lot of emphasis on the experience of the customers and not really like optimizing for the operations, but mostly optimizing for how they feel yeah. in the store and what they get what they get out of it. What do you think was the point when you realized, okay, now we have a concept that is scalable and we would like to expand? When we opened our third store, so when we opened our first store, it took a long time for us to build the customer base. Our second store, it took some time. When we opened our third store, we saw a line out the door. And that gave us the confidence that we have something here. Word has gotten around. People like what we're doing. And then when we opened the fourth store, lines out the door. And then the fifth store, lines out the door. So our confidence grew with every new store opening. And that's when we knew in those days, in between store five and 10, or I'm sorry, between store three and 10, we had something and we need to keep doing this. And more, more communities should have a fill. Fill should serve more communities. And this is amazing that you have been able to create such a loyal customer base that even when you were opening a new location, a new store in like a new neighborhood, people were already like waiting for it, right? They yeah. wanted to stand in line to be the first ones to experience it. It was amazing to us. We couldn't believe it. And, you know, I think here's a wonderful thing that we, we, we used to do is my dad and I would know every customer in the early days. And we'd know their whole family and we'd know all of their birthdays. So we write down their birthdays and we know when they come in, you know, let's say customer John has a daughter, Linda. Linda's his daughter. She's three years old. She loves chocolate cupcakes. We don't have chocolate cupcakes. The day before, we go pick up chocolate cupcakes and because we know he's going to come in with his daughter and we sing happy birthday for her. We, these are the things that you, you these, these are the moments that, these are magical moments that you have to create. And we tried to do that as much as possible. And people will say, oh, you can't scale that. That's not a scalable thing. You know what we said to that? We don't care. We don't care. This is fun. This is the right thing to do. So the challenge is how do you get all of your employees to have that same level of passion and excitement to do, this, to do that? And that was, that's the hardest part. Well, that's what I wanted to ask. How, like, because I think even for like an individual... It's very, very difficult to 
memorize everything and like, or like keep track. And as you mentioned, like going above and beyond, picking up the chocolate cupcakes the day before, just to have it ready. I think it just speaks about your and your dad's thinking about what is the level of hospitality that you wanted to provide your customers with. But yeah. how, how, how do you try to instill that, that in the employees in all the stores that, that you have right now? How, how do you think this is able to survive? Because as you mentioned, that's the, that's the hard part. It's very difficult. I think you have to start with hiring good people. So you have to really take your time to make sure, you know, you have a good hiring process and you hire people who are genuinely excited about what you're doing and you think they can, you know, they're, they're going to be excited to do those things. So, and that's hard to do because you're not, you're going to miss, you're going to make misses, but you try to hire the right people. So then you have the people in your building. The next step is how do they stay? How do you motivate them? to want to do that. So then you have to have the right leadership in the store. And it comes back to what we were saying about you are your environment. If we can get the leader of the store to feel like it's their store and get them to create these moments and inspire them to do that, and they do that to their team, then their team's going to see that and hopefully they do that. So it's really, it's about scaling stories. You know, storytelling is very powerful. Hiring the right people is very powerful. The right leader, the right person that's running the store is very, very important. So those are some of the things that we do to try to create that experience, but it's extremely difficult. How does the technology play a role in that? And can you leverage it to work in your favor in terms of like maybe keeping track of some of the details about your customers and just helping the baristas to make their lives easier. You know, when you're running a store, you don't need anything. You just need your product and you need your people because you have your place. I think that's all you need to become successful in a store. Now, you have a lot of customers, you have a lot of products, you know, you need some systems to help you out. But I've always viewed technology as a tool, not the thing. So it's an enabler. And if we can use technology to simplify things that matter less so people can spend their time on things that matter more, that's a good use of technology. So we embrace it, but we know its place. So today, you can go to a restaurant or a chain. And you might see a kiosk where you place an order. Now, that's not for us because that's not the experience we want to create. So I think brands need to be very mindful of what technology means for them and why they're using it. You know, are you using it because it's the next cool thing? So you got to figure out who you are and you got to use technology as a tool to reinforce that, not replace it. Because you still want to have the customer to have a conversation with the barista and have For some us, yes. human interaction, right? Exactly. Well, and we created the mobile app, the Phil's mobile app. And you know what happened? People complained. The employees complained. They were worried. Oh, Phil's is all about personalization. You know, like 
human it. This is taking it away. Now they can order, they walk in the store, they grab their drink and they leave. And what we noticed was that in coffee, people really value convenience and predictability and sometimes they're short in time because they have to go to work. So our mission at Phil's is to better people's days. So what happened was that there is a segment of customers who were not coming as often and they were not coming as often because they couldn't wait. So we were not bettering their day. We were yep. only bettering the days of the customers who were coming in. So if we created the Phil's mobile app, now we have the opportunity to better the people who need conveniences day. And then we make that as personal as possible. And we can still better the day of the people in the store. So it's all about segmenting your uh, customer base and making sure that for the people that are busy, they yep. can order it ahead. But you still prefer the human interaction in the store because that's where the magic happens. You know, I, I, I think personally, I prefer that more, but most importantly, I prefer customers just leaving with a better day. You know, I want yeah. them to be happy. That's it. And like, what, what is the current state of things at, at Phil's? How are you thinking about going with the company into the future? Well, we have a good team in place running the day to day. And I think we want to just grow and do it with quality you know, and being more communities. So I always think we want to get better and bigger. We don't just want to get bigger. So how do we keep getting better every day? And then how do we get bigger in a quality way? So that's it. You know, we have almost 75 stores, 80 stores today. And, you know, we're going to try to open some more stores this year, hopefully do a great job, and then open some more stores the following year, do a great job. And if, as long as we keep doing a great job. We're going to keep growing, but we can't forget where we came from. That's very important. We got to make sure we, we get that right. I really like to hear that you are not putting all the emphasis on just growing for the sake of growing, but you are being really sensitive to the foundation that you have established and like being true to the values, right, that you have put together. And I think being able to do that for 20 years plus, like, how do you, how do you make sure that you stay true to those values? Because that, that must be a big challenge. And I totally can imagine that, you know, some people that are involved are asking you, why don't you open more stores and why aren't you more ambitious? And then you need to be the one to kind of make sure that everything stays in sync. You know, I think the more people you have involved, the more complicated things, more confusing and complicated things can be. So you got to make sure you choose your partners wisely and your values should not change. So you got to make sure you stay true to your value. When, when something is very, when you have core values, you typically don't change them over a long period of time. They're your core values. And I think Phil's in many ways is an expression of our core values. And, you know, it's just, it is what it is. If you want, if somebody wants a different flavor, they should go find a different flavor. <laughs> but we have our flavor and we try to want to, you know, we want to keep it. But I also think it's good to have some tension sometimes, some discomfort, because if you're always too comfortable Maybe you're missing something. So it's important to have a good balance of 
stubbornness and openness. I think stubbornness is actually a strength, not a weakness. But I think a lack of openness is a weakness. So you have to be stubborn and open. And that's hard to do. So you got to know when to be stubborn and you got to know when to be open. That's very important. Now, th- this is a great point. And I think that like finding the right balance between the two that you mentioned, between stubbornness and openness, is really, really hard at times. So definitely something to pay attention to. Yeah. How do you deal with it? We should ask my team what they think about me being stubborn. I think that like, like I try to be super open when it comes to things like really happy to discuss anything, anytime. But I think that there is a decent level of stubbornness in me that if I'm convinced that something is the, the path to go, then I'm just convinced and I will, I will keep pushing. But I, I, I'm, I'm very open to, to hear the feedback and like, it's, it's, I think, very important. And like, even if it creates friction, I think that like you will not get better unless there is some level of friction, right? You don't yeah. want to be operating at a mediocre level, just avoiding any like uh, difficult discussions and everything. I think that's not, that's not how it should be done. I agree. So what are some of the other things where you spend your time? I know that you've been doing a lot of investing and looking at consumer startups and what keeps you busy these days? Yeah, so I I love building and I love I've I've been doing angel investing probably for the past six, seven years pretty passively, but I'm spending more and more time doing it because there's so many wonderful consumer founders out there that are doing and creating things and being part of that is very invigorating because it brings me back to the early days of bills, you know, figuring things out being resourceful, strategizing, finding customers, talking to customers. So I love that environment. So I'm spending my time now. I build a a platform, an investment platform, and there's three products. The first product is investing. So early stage investing in consumer companies. And it could be consumer technology. It could be food and beverage. It could be health and fitness. You know, it could be a variety of things. The next one is buying. So if there are small businesses out there that are really great, that have a lot of potential, and maybe the founder is looking for a partner, we'd love we'd love those situations to look at them, try to bring it to its fullest potential, and make it really a long term business. Not not try to raise venture, not try to sell it, but hold it on hold on to it forever. So buying good businesses and helping them grow sustainably, and then the third one is building. So it's build, buy, and invest. The building part is like an incubation studio. So if there are ideas that smack us in the face that we love, we will maybe start working on them. And then we find somebody who could become the co-founder and run it. Or if there's a solo co-founder that has a great idea but needs some help, potentially we can partner with them and help build it. So this is a platform that allows us to engage in the most exciting opportunities that we think are the best. How do you manage all of that? It's like a lot of different activities and I can imagine that it takes a lot of effort and time to to manage it all. You know, it's not not so much. If I, I, I would say on the angel investing front, it's it's been relatively easy 
fortunately, I'm able, I have a good network and I get a lot of things in my inbox that I can take a look at and very quickly decide yes or no. On the buy part, I'm not out there every day looking for stuff. Sometimes things will pop up. So it's very opportunistic on the buy part. Same with the build part. So I think what makes it all easy is we're not forcing anything. We're staying aware and we're being opportunistic and then capturing the opportunity that we like the best. So we just sit we sit and we wait. And you mentioned that like when it comes to investing, that it's relatively easy process for yourself to decide if you know what, what you want. Yeah. Whether or whether or not you wanna you wanna support it. So what what are the things that, that you are looking at? Because I feel like you have a very particular taste, and I think that also reflects your experience and, and, and background, which is of course understandable. But what what are you looking at when you receive these inquiries to to join as an investor? Well, the first most important thing is do I understand it? You should not invest in what you don't understand. So the good news is I don't understand a lot. <laughs> I only understand. So that that wipes out so many things. <laughs> so that's good. So you have to understand it. You have to really understand what you're investing in. And that sounds so simple. You'd be surprised how many investors out there, you know, they need to go out. They need to do a year of research. It's like, just if you understand it, that, that you need to understand it. So that's one. Number two. Do I think there is a lot of potential in the idea? So the size of the idea, the potential of the idea, the need of the idea is very important. Number three, the person. Is the person the best to make this, to execute this idea? And then number four is the price right. So do I understand it? High potential product, the best person, right price. Very simple. And then you go, just write a check and boom, here is an investment. Yep. And you know what? I, I'm very selective. So I'm okay. You know, if I see a thousand opportunities in a year and I only invest in one or two, I'm happy with that. I'm fine. I don't have a number or quota. It's not, you know, just, you know, that's a focus lot of, on quality. That's a lot of opportunities though. Well, you know, it's funny. I see some people that get hundreds of opportunities a week. Wow. And I don't know what these companies are, but, you know, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you, you just, you got to know who you are, know what you're looking for, and you got to stick to it. So that helps save a lot of time. To your point earlier about being efficient is it's much easier if you know what you're looking for. A hundred percent. Because, you yeah. know, ex then you know exactly what you should be doing and what you should not be doing. Versus exactly. if you, if, if you don't know then you might be doing everything, but it will actually not be getting you closer to your goal. 100%. Do, do you think that uh, it's mostly the like community that you were able to build within Phil's and the branding element of it that attracts people to reach out to you? Are these like the main two pillars or do you think that there's, there's something else or like the fundraising experience or uh, what are some of the other attributes that do you think drive people to get in touch with you? I think definitely Phil's is a big part of it because we created it. You know, we've had a lot of successes and also mistakes. We went through fundraising. There's just so much learnings in that. So that's valuable. That's one reason. 
I think as I built a community of founders that I know now, a lot of it just has to do with we like one another, we get along, we share ideas, we strategize. I try to be as helpful as I can. They know other founders, they tell them. So now I'm seeing the reasons people out, people reach out are a lot more than just bills. But I think, you know, building a consumer food and beverage retail company is not easy. <laughs> very, very difficult. And there's not a lot of people who've been able to do it. So I'm happy to share my mistakes, my learnings, you know, and what I think it takes. Well, like now that you mentioned your mistakes and learnings, what would be the top two or three that just pop in your head right away? One, raising money can make you dumb. So the more money you have, the less important it is to be resourceful. Or that, or that maybe the better way to say it is the more money you have, you can, it's easier to get a little fancy and hire expensive people and do things that, you know, you wouldn't have done if you didn't have the money. So it could make you bloated. It could make you fat. It could make you slow. It could make you, you know, it's so stay resourceful. Stay resourceful is very important. And if you raise money, you got to work extra hard at staying resourceful. So that's what I mean. That's one. Number two, trust your instincts on people. You know, you're going to make mistakes in hiring, fire them fast. It's better for everyone. So do really good and pay a lot of attention to hiring. Do good at that because that's very important. You got to be a good recruiter. You got to hire right, uh, but you're always going to make mistakes. So make sure you fire fast. So when you, I've, I've took, taken too long. I take too long to hire people, which actually I, I think is, is preferable over hiring the wrong person. Because the cost of a mishire, you can't even calculate it. You know, it takes four months. You hire the wrong person. It takes another four months before you figure out they're not right. Or maybe you know right away. But then it takes you another six months to actually have the tough conversation. And then maybe they've actually decelerated progress versus accelerated progress. You know, so high, those are the two. Those are probably two, two big ones. The third one I would say is focus. And sometimes with money comes opportunity. So you want to do everything at once. Focusing is really important. Very difficult to do. Yeah. And Those it's, are it's, the three things. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that like when you actually successfully raise a large amount of financing, that's pretty much where the journey, like <laughs> it's not that you have done a big part of work, right? And you could feel there is like a certain level of accomplishment. That's actually where it starts because that's the that's the difficult part. You have to be like very careful with the way how you spend it and yes. make sure that you spend it in the right way. Hundred percent, and that's difficult to do. And to that, what you said regard like with hiring and letting people go fast, I think that like you should also not take at least from my my point of view, you should also not take super long to make some of the key hires because that might be holding things off. But yeah, definitely agree with, with the second part that if you see something is not working out, then yeah, it's very necessary to pull a trigger on that. And that's hard to do. It's not easy to do that. It is, it is very hard to do, but I think that's why we are in, in the roles in the yep. end of leading companies, right? Because like we need to be setting the example and 
if you manage larger organization and you are not able to make that happen, then how can you rely on your colleagues and your team that they would manage their teams in the same way? And one thing that you mentioned earlier is like, as a leader, especially in like a business that is like consumer facing hospitality, if you have a manager there or leader there that is in the trenches with the people, leading by example, I th- to me it feels like it, this is the this is the best way to build that community aspect and make sure that everybody is aligned with the values. Exactly, a hundred percent. I think you said it well, and you know firsthand, having having been through been through a lot of this stuff for a while. What? Well, it's like I haven't really had a chance to interact with a lot of like for us it's it's little different in terms of like we work we usually work for other companies, right? It's not an end consumer. So like client relationships hundred percent, but I think like from like the end customer standpoint, that's why I'm like being really inspired by what you are saying because for me, this is bringing it on yet another level. But if you think about it, your customer is their customer, ultimately. No, you that's know? true. So that's if, true. If, if, if their customer is truly delighted, they're going to be delighted. Yeah. And then you're going to be delighted. It, it, is a, it is a chain. It is not a direct relationship that you have, but ultimately the, yeah. the end customer is there anyway. Uh, exactly. It's I just, mean, unless the organization is big and very political, then it's, oh, re- yeah. it's, it's different. <laughs> it's different. That that's that's hundred percent right. So when it comes to like uh, you mentioned that part of what you like to focus on is also building. Do you have certain areas that make you really passionate where you would like to build something in the future, or maybe you have something in the works already that you could talk about? Well, there's definitely a few ideas. So one of the things I struggle with is this idea of. You want to do things, ideally, you want to work on things that are really important. They're transformative versus incremental. So creating the next best cheeseburger is not a transformative project when it comes to advancing humanity, right? It's like the better cheeseburger, okay, it's incremental. So, and that's fine. You can work on a better cheeseburger. You can work on a better coffee. You can work on a better, you know. These are important things, but I've been thinking a lot more about this idea of what's trans, you know, what's trans transformational versus what's incremental, and how do you marry the ideas that you have with a sizable transformative impact? And that's difficult to do. So Elon Musk is the best at this, if you think about it, because he's working on space. You know, if you're able to get travel to space at a reasonable cost, you open up an abundance of opportunities and industries, et cetera. You know, transitioning from combustion engine and emission, you know, cars to electric vehicle. These feel, these are probably good examples of maybe more transformative things. So I would like to work on things that are transformative versus incremental, but it's very difficult. Yeah, like... What you mentioned is hundred percent right, and like, when it comes to Elon Musk, I don't understand how 
he is able to like just navigate a lot of these ideas, right? It's one day launching a, a rocket, the other day launching a new model of a car, and then doing a whole lot of things at Twitter. And like, we are just scratching the surface of what he does. So, yeah. uh, there is there's definitely a ton. But I will be very curious to stay up to date with all the things that you will be thinking about how, you know, you could create something more transformative. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe it won't happen. Maybe it will. Or maybe there's companies out there that I can be a proud investor of, you know, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, 100%. Like, one thing that just popped in my mind as well is with all of that, having quite a bit on your plate, is there some mindful routine that, that you have to be able to manage it all or some practice that you found very beneficial? There are times where I'll do some stuff like breathing, and but I'm not consistent at it. So I would say exercising on my bike is a good one. Taking walks. I love taking walks. That's a good one. Honestly, you know, I love watching basketball. So just sitting <laughs> back and watching basketball is enjoyable. Yeah, I think it's interesting because work has changed, right? We don't have nine to fives anymore. We don't. We're just, we're working or we're not working. And I think that's one of, that's good. Yeah. Because if, if you're, you know, you should be able to take some good breaks, you know, you should be able to take some good breaks and that break could come in the form of you sitting down on your couch with a cup of coffee. It could be a walk. It could be anything. So I just try to think like that, but no, I do not have, unfortunately, a consistent routine besides working out. Well, maybe not having a routine is a routine that works for you, right? Maybe and so. I think that brings me back to what we have started with initially, that there is no like one path that would fit everyone. And it was very insightful to hear what you have gone through and everything. And yeah, I had the blast to have the discussion with you and have you on the show. Me too. Thank you, Lubo. All I right. had a great time and thank you for the opportunity. And when you get these transformative ideas, we need to do it again for sure. I will be in touch with you because I'm not technical. So there's definitely <laughs> a lot of, we're going to need a lot of STRV's help <laughs> at some point. So if you don't mind, I, I might need to reach out. Oh, we will be happy to help for sure. Okay, good. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please follow us on where platform used to listen to podcasts. And we'll be thankful if you leave us a review. That's it for now. Until next time on the Next Level Show.